Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Happy Wednesday, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Latitude's In Session Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Derek Bradis. Derek, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Jake. I feel honored. Yeah, this is awesome. It's the first time you've appeared on this, right? First time? No, I was on with Alex and Corey. I was just really tired and didn't talk. You're right. Yeah, you were there a couple of times. It was it was after a couple of days of some heavy scouting, so that makes sense for sure. Well, today's episode is going to be short and sweet, and we're just going to cover really our top five public land scouting tactics that we learned from doing the in-session this fall. So couple sprinkled in with us. It's a lot of, you know, the people that we went out and spent time with in the woods. And we just compiled that and came up with a list of top five tactics. And who better to be on the podcast than two guys that kind of traveled around meeting everybody and scouting with them, right? So let's get right into it. So we came up with the idea of the in session web series just kind of on the fly, right? Like you had an idea, I had an idea, we meshed them. And before we knew it, we just, we had this crazy thought to travel around the country and meet up with people. Yeah. Yeah. We, we both kind of talked about doing something similar to what ended up being the end product. And we, we both thought about it before we even really hung out with each other, that it would be something cool to do. And no one's really been doing anything like that. And then we kind of just, we talked it over with Alex and the rest of the guys and told them our idea and they thought it was awesome. They kind of just let us fly with it. And uh, we picked out a bunch of names of just some killers and Guys in our friends groups and guys that are, none of us have ever met, but we've watched from afar and be successful and thought it'd be awesome to learn from them and get their information out to the world. Because when I used to listen to you on podcasts forever, I'm, I'm a very visual learner. So hearing you talk about things, I couldn't really put it into my scouting unless I seen it. And I always wanted to get you on tape scouting and get that going. And then we just transformed that into all these other guys doing different styles than what you do. So I, I think it worked out great, and I'm really excited from the feedback that we're getting from it so far. Yeah, and I had the exact same experience trying to learn and develop myself where I'd listen to somebody on a podcast, and 
I was just like, man, if I had a visual, you know what I mean? Like if I could just see what he's talking about as opposed to hearing it. And a really good example of that was the reads out there with Greg Litzinger. Like I've heard him talk about it before and we went out there and he pointed at him on the ground and I probably looked like I was lost. You know, I'm like, hang on a second, Greg, what are you talking about? And then he picked up these reeds and he showed me, hey, the deer carry these in out of the swamp and out of the marshes. And it made all the sense in the world to me, but it was just one of those things in my head. It was like a mental block. And then as soon as I got to see it, I'm like, well, of course, right? Like that makes all the sense in the world. So, <laughs> so hopefully bringing all these visual videos out for you guys this spring really helped out and kind of gave you that visual. Uh, I can, I can say that our list of hunters that we want to have on is huge and we really didn't even scratch the surface. So there's a lot left in the tank. This was really like a test run this year, right? We wanted to see the feedback, wanted to see if it was something that people actually wanted to watch or not. And honestly, from the feedback, I'm really excited for next spring. I think that we absolutely need to dive full steam ahead into this thing next spring and go out and meet with a bunch of other killers and just try to get that information on tape. It worked out great. And I, like you, we both, when we left Greg's in New Jersey, we were like, okay, we filmed all this. We didn't watch any of it yet. Uh, I hope it's good. And then we sat down and we put it together. And after listening to you guys' podcast, we're like, okay, we got something going here. You know, because we went out there. It's totally different. I mean, you don't see scouting videos in the salt marshes in New Jersey anywhere. So doing that was, for being the first one going out there was, we didn't really know what to expect with Greg. You know, I've listened to him on a few podcasts and watched his videos, but to be able to go out there with him. And another thing that a lot of people don't know is the guys that we did, I don't know if they've ever had a camera guy with them. And we were meeting them for the first time. You never met Greg before we went out there, I've right? never, Yeah, I never met Greg in person until that day. Yeah, so we never met Greg. You never met, you met Ryan. Yeah. But never in that environment, like in their their domain where they hunt and they've never had outsiders really go in there. And I think they really appreciated that because we were kind of paying attention, honoring what they do. So I think it worked out really good. Yeah. And so, you know, just a little background on this whole thing. We came up with like, we came up with a list. We're like, all right, let's hit Greg this year for sure. Let's make sure we get out and see Ryan. Let's try to get with a couple other people. And we tried to come up with lists of things that we should cover. And what I quickly realized is that that list was only going to take us so far because you think, you know, somebody through a podcast and like kind of what they do, but like, I'm here to tell you the regimen they have is so much more detailed than what you hear about. And like, we went out there with a very specific plan for Greg and immediately we were just rolling with the punches and we were like, man, we got a ton of footage about stuff. We could have had an hour long video and we had to cut out a bunch of good stuff just to try to keep it in like that retention range, if you will, of what we thought people would actually want to watch or not. So, so yeah, so actually getting out there was like a, a big, it, it was a lot different than I expected it to be, but in a good way. And it's because everybody's a lot more detailed than I expected. And same thing with Ryan, we got out there with Ryan and it was just like, you know, he had so many things going through his head in those mountains. And I had a list of stuff and I was like, well, okay. I mean, you already covered my list, but like, we're just going to keep filming. We're going to let the camera roll. And whatever happens, we'll figure out. And I remember driving home after the Greg one, you kind of mentioned it already, but we, we had a conversation where like, like, where do we even begin to cut this footage up and make this work? And we just landed on a, a specific way that looked good to us. You know, we kind of, we, we battled back and forth a little bit here and there. And I think that the end product ended up being really good. And, you know, I can't thank you enough for making the dream come to life because like, I can think all this up in my head. 
and know what I want to do, but I can't actually make that happen in video. And so that's where I leaned on you. I'm like, okay, like I have this little thought process. You have this big creative mind, but you also have the technical expertise to actually make it happen. So all the videos that you guys watched, Derek was the mastermind. I mean, he was the one behind it and he did an absolutely awesome job. Yeah. So it was a dream come true for me um, because like I said in the beginning, like I wanted to see you scout visually. And instead of me just seeing it visually, the first time someone's seen you scout visually, I'm actually there filming it. And Corey, Corey was there filming. Corey did a great job too. Corey, without him, uh, half of these episodes probably wouldn't have happened. So thanks to Corey Godar for doing that. Um, but being able to edit them and being there for a lot of them, seeing, seeing it in person, that was, I mean, that was a dream come true. So that was the trade-off, I guess, for me being able to do that with you. Yeah. And Corey was there a lot. You know, we spent a lot of time in a couple of different states and we had, we haven't mentioned it yet, but we had Chris Leppert and Josh Luck as well. And I can't thank them enough either. I mean, there was, we had all of these people that we got to learn from and it was just so awesome. And being on that side of it, we're like, you know, we're trying to produce this film in these videos, but it's almost like a, like selfishly, I'm trying to just absorb all that information. You know what I mean? And it's really nice that we have that footage to look back on as well. So so yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, we're definitely gonna gonna try to knock a bunch of them out of the out of the park next year and have a bunch more content for you guys. And this is all leading up to the grit as well. Latitude's grit is gonna be launching the end of June. So we've got a lot of big things in the near future that I'm excited about. But uh let's get into it. So today's episode is gonna be about the top five public land scouting tactics that we kind of either either knew about or learned throughout this process. And this is obviously going to be our own personal opinion. So I'm not saying that this is the best out there. I'm not saying this is the only way to do things, but what it is is like what we've learned over the past four or five months of traveling around to five or six different states filming these in sessions. Just kind of what we put together is like things that we want to capitalize on. So let's get right into number five to start. Number five is Greg Litzinger. And it was the way that he was approaching scouting escape routes out in New Jersey. What do you think about that, Derek? He's very pressured where he's at. His land's very pressured. So he has to he has to scout escape routes for deer escaping from other hunters. So he kind of goes off of other hunters' mistakes and tries to capitalize on that. So that was really cool to learn that because in Ohio, it's, it's starting to get really pressured. I mean, it's been, but it's getting more and more as Ohio's name's getting out there. So that's something that we're really going to take and uh, utilize in our own hunting for sure. Yeah, 100%. And there's, there was a lot of takeaways there for me because there's a couple of different ways that he hunts escape routes. The first way that he hunts escape routes is like, if you have a marsh and you have multiple points jutting out into that marsh, say that he knows that there's one that has a good buck bent on it, but it also has hunting pressure. He'll find himself on a different point. A lot of times anticipating that buck, that buck actually getting bumped. And when that buck gets bumped off of that one point that the other hunter's on, Greg is already waiting on the point of the other one. So this deer is doing like this big J hook to get away, but Greg's sitting there waiting on him. And then the other way that Greg was using escape routes was actually when a deer is still traveling to a food source, which blew my mind. So, so same sort of concept where Greg's on a point and then another hunter's on another point, but instead of that deer just escaping because he got bumped. Greg's anticipating that deer traveling to the other points, like solely based off the fact that that deer thinks that there's going to be a hunter on the point that he's betted on closer towards the egg. So he's just making, the deer gets up, makes this big loop. 
and Greg's waiting on him over there too. And there's a lot of things that play into that. Greg was playing thermals. He was playing prevailing winds. He was, he was playing like the most treeless areas that he can find. You know, like Greg said in the video, trees kill big bucks and big bucks know that trees are danger. And so he's using all that. So took a bunch away from that. That is really showcased in this video that's going to launch Friday. It's called top five public land scouting tactics. So I think you guys will really enjoy that. But, uh, but number four, number four is going to be Ryan Glitzky and that's his rut convergence scouting, you know, getting out there with Ryan. Like I am very heavily focused on early season and slightly focused on late season. And I don't really do a whole lot of scouting at all for the rut and getting out there with Ryan and seeing, you know, we get down this big hub system and I'm thinking hub system in my head and I'm excited, right? I'm like, man, this, this is what I do. We get down in there and he's like, okay, this is where the major convergence is. And my mind was blown because it was nowhere near where I expected that to be based off of the map. And so it was really cool to see Ryan just dissect this. I mean, he's dissecting trails, he's dissecting sign, he's dissecting really just all those sign and trails that are broadcasted throughout years and years. You know, he's looking for historical sign as well. So he has his own strategy with these transitions and sign and trails, and it puts him really down to like one specific tree that he thinks is just going to be where he needs to be. And so that was, that was extremely interesting to me. What'd you think about that, Derek? Yeah, filming him was really relatable to how I grew up. Um, I'm from Pennsylvania as well originally, so I, I was really excited to get out there with him and kind of hunt or scout the same terrain that I grew up hunting. And one thing about him that really blew my mind is something that all the like the older guys that I hunt with do, and they've been successful doing it, and I just didn't have the patience. I don't know if it's just me being a younger generation, but he can sit in one spot for six to eight days straight, all day sits, knowing that eventually – the buck that he's been watching will come through there or a shooter buck will come through there. And for him to have that patience to sit there and he doesn't just sit in a random spot. He does. He, it's very calculated where he's sitting all day for those days. That was a really big taking point that I got from that. And you know, when I'm filming these things, I'm, I'm paying attention to what you guys are saying, but I'm also watching the camera, making sure everything's done right. And something like that made my ears perk up to kind of listen to that. Cause it kind of blew my mind that he does that, but he's been successful doing it. So that's something pretty cool that I learned. It is. And he's got a lot that he does well. You know, it's really on the mental side of things for me. Like, yes, he's dissecting all this and he's finding these areas, but in the mountains, it's really tough to catch up with a big deer. It just is. And so his process of just going out there and grinding away days into weeks and weeks into months of, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to observe and I'm going to fine tune my setup if I need to, but I'm killing the deer in here. It's just, it's a grind, man. And moose can grind. There's no doubt about that at all. So I picked up a lot from him. I picked up, you know, I've, I've talked to him a lot in the past and I picked up a lot to do with like his mentality over the last couple of years, but seeing that in person, I was like, yeah, he's, he's the real deal for sure. So I really think that that deserves number four. Uh, number three is going to be scouting for the morning kill with Alex chop. And this one is something that I really want to focus on. I'm really excited to try to scout with this approach and use this as a tactic of mine for some of these other spots and some of these out of state hunts that we're going to be in. You know, I heavily rely on being able to hunt the afternoons, but in an out-of-state approach, that cuts half my hunting time right immediately, right? So, so being able to, I actually didn't get to be there with Alex and scout with him, but to watch that video taught me a lot. And I obviously did the podcast with him out there and really picked his brain on the morning thing. And I think that I can look at a lot of my situations and a lot of the areas that I hunt and take away some really good things. And I think that I can put myself in better position. You know, he talks a lot about 
still finding the specific beds or the bedding areas, finding these thickets, finding these transitions, finding the food sources, but he's looking at it the exact opposite way I am where he's trying to catch that buck coming back to bed a lot. And he's, he talks about it a lot. He's much more confident on his ability to kill a mature deer in the morning and on the exact opposite. So us two, like, you know, bashing our heads together, really put a new perspective in my head and I could take away a lot from that. And you got to spend the day with him out there. So what did you think? Well, I spent the day with him and then I spent all fall with him. And I'll tell you right now, I mean, normally getting up early in the morning, you're tired, you're groggy. It's like, you know, I want to get out there, but you know, you come up with an excuse. I'll just wait for the afternoon. When I know I'm going out in the morning with Alex Chop, everything's charged and, and I'm confident, you know, because every time we go out in the morning, we see deer. And, and the one deer he shot this year that I was filming in Nebraska, you'll see in the grid, that was an evening hunt. But the rest, all fall, all the big deer we've seen, all the deer we've seen were mostly on morning hunts. And it's just crazy to me because I, I hunted mornings, but I never was successful in the morning. I just didn't. I just sat in the woods. He's very strategic. He scouts for the morning hunt. I'm, I remember in Michigan, northern Michigan, Kevin shot his deer and we were all celebrating that night with him. And he went to bed early because he knew he had to be at this spot this time in the morning. He had to drive far. He woke up at like three o'clock in the morning. He went out there and he put a shot on a nice northern Michigan buck. And everyone was like, whoa, here we go. He comes, we're waking up. He's calling us saying, let's go track this deer. So him in the morning, is, it's, he's just deadly in the morning. And when it came to scout in Indiana, what he does, he just, he, he does what you do. He does what all of us do. He looks at the maps, but he's, he's really focusing on those morning hunts and access into those morning spots. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing for me is the access side of it. And I'm sure that you've learned a ton about accessing in the mornings from him and I get to hunt with you this fall. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'll be able to be like, D-Rock, hey, uh, what do you think about accessing this spot in the morning? But I'm, I'm curious, at what point did you become a believer in the morning hunts with him? Because like you said, you didn't, you know, that wasn't necessarily your style. You know, at, at what point, like, was there a turning point where you were like, okay, this is the real deal. Like, there's something to this. Um, Northern Michigan, yeah, when he shot that buck. But personally for me was when we were in Wisconsin and um, we seen just the biggest deer either me and Alex have ever seen on the hoof. And we went in there blind, just literally e-scouting and went to a spot. I didn't know where, I wasn't looking at the maps. I was just following him because I trust him. And we're going up this hill and then sun comes up and there's there's a nice 10 pointer and then there's this giant deer that was either high 180s or low 190s and it was this guy knows what he's doing sometimes he acts like he doesn't know what he's doing but he's really smart and he knows what he's doing he's calculated and he's confident and i think that's why he's so successful no doubt about it at all all right number two is going to be greg litzinger again and that's targeting specific buck beds and you know we get out in those marshes and seeing greg's approach to scouting these beds like I've scouted a ton of beds and I've targeted them with quite a bit of success, but I would say that my cutoff is normally like that 50 yard range and like even 80 yards is like, you're getting pretty close. Right. And so I have a cutoff and going out there with Greg, he doesn't have a cutoff. Like Greg has setups that this is mind blowing to me, but Greg has setups where he is 25 yards away from a bedded buck, like a big, mature, high pressured New Jersey buck. And he's within 25 yards. And like, yes, it's very condition-based. Like he's got to have wind. So the reeds are blowing around. He's got to have the, the just off wind. And he's got to have preferably a rain in the last 24 hours. So the leaves are wet and stuff like this. But, but that all takes time to figure out. And he has absolutely figured it out. And I just feel like 
to be number two, it's just got to be a tactic that's that's deadly, right? It's got to be really killer. And I feel like that is extremely killer. I mean, he is very successful doing it. And it just makes it makes all the sense in the world. And he's just so close that he takes pressure right out of the equation almost in a lot of these spots. You know, a lot of these areas on the point, it would be a buck bed. Like within 20 to 30 yards of the point out in the reeds, there'd be a little high spot and be a bed. So Greg knows that, but every other hunter knows that too. So what we were seeing a lot of is about halfway to that point. So let's say like 100 yards from the ag, we're seeing a lot of tree stands. We're seeing trail cameras. We're seeing bait piles. We're seeing the whole, you know, cut limbs, the whole nine yards. So the other hunters are setting up where they think they can access and as close as they think they can get. And Greg's just pushing it right to the limit. He's just walking right past those guys, circling around and figuring out a way to get that close to those beds. And the, the one thing that really stood out to me is we found that one bed and it's actually the example that we use in the video launching Friday. So if you guys want to see this visually, head over and watch that video, but there's a buck bedded on the point and he comes down this like thick trail and there's just one spot where Greg can shoot. It's a focal point. And after that focal point, these trails disperse into two and then four and then eight and 16 and just magnifies. And so after that point, you're just, you're, you're throwing darts. You know what I mean? It's just a guessing game. So Greg takes all that out of the equation by being 25 yards from that deer. Yeah. And that just blew my mind. Yeah. Greg, Greg calls himself a turtle, but he's more of a chameleon in his environment because I mean, I'm from PA right near Jersey. So I've hunted New Jersey growing up a lot with some guys I knew and a lot of these pieces, like you said, they're overly pressured, but like what we were talking about earlier with the ag, the deer going to the ag, the ag most of the time is closer to the road in that part of the country. So these deer, by the time they get to the ag, it's dark. So he has to push the limit to set up closer to those beds. Unlike here, we have those options where we could push deep into the public. And by the time they, when they start moving, it's still daytime. So yeah, he's a product of his environment and he does it really well. And to be able to see how aggressive he gets he he kind of has to and i think that's where he thrives over a lot of the other hunters out there the hunting pressure we've seen because they're watching the shows and all that stuff and they don't think they could do that or should be able to do that but he knows what he has to do to adapt to where he's hunting with everything that's around him exactly and the thing about greg's strategy with that one specific buck is it's not going to be and none of these strategies are but that's really not going to be terrain based they're like geographically based in the country that'll work anywhere if you find a bed and you find enough good mature buck beds and you keep targeting those beds it's only a matter of time before you get it done and you know if you take that setup that greg showed us if greg has 30 or 40 of those setups with those beds and he can hunt each one of those on a specific condition when that food source is hot like you're gonna be close and we could do the same thing here right you can go find those specific beds in hill country or in farm country and say, okay, this food source is hot right now. I have the conditions I need to go in there. I'm going to take a shot of that bed. And if you're that dialed, it's only a matter of time. Like you cannot do that for, for a very long amount of time before you start having encounters. Yeah. What was really interesting to me about that too, if you watched that video, that bed was in the, in the reeds and he said something in the, the full in session video that was just on Greg, where he could come in through the water but he can access through those reeds because those deer are used to those reeds moving around. So you can get away with a little bit of noise coming in that way and get close to a bed from the water. So that was pretty interesting to me. Yeah. And, and that's exactly, I mean, that was a, that's a great point. So number one is going to be, and this is biased. Like I said, it's, it's, we came up <laughs> with this list, right? You and I did. 
And we've both seen success from just hub scrapes for early season. Number one for me is hub scrapes in early season in the hill country. And I just feel like, you know, having the beds dialed is super important. But a lot of these areas, you're just going to have multiple bedding areas or bedding points that dump down into some of these hubs. And so the the bedding can shift. It's not like I can go say, okay, a buck on a south wind is going to be bedded in this bed every single time. It just doesn't work that way. But what I can normally tell you is if I go in a system and an ag field is hot or a white oak flat is hot, that there's somewhere in that system, a buck's going to be bedded. And so I'm looking at the same thing Greg's looking at. Where is the focal point where I can kill that deer? In early season, before there's a bunch of pressure induced in that area, I just feel like there's no better place than a hub scrape. And I've seen it in my cameras. You know, we I can talk about Chris Leppert and Josh Luck here where they've seen it in their cameras. They've had success. You know, Chris traveled to like six states this spring setting cameras up in hub scrapes because he is a 100% believer in the system. Josh Luck's the same way. So I just feel like there's a lot to be a lot to be had there. And it's always, regardless of anything else, in my opinion, it's just a great starting point. Like, you know, it's just it's a it's a focal point where you can put a camera and you can get a bunch of inventory and it's very easy to go check that spot and then decide how you want to set up on that based off it. And I feel like you could hunt there in the morning. You know, we talked to uh Cody Schleich and Cody is a big believer of bucks hitting those hub scrapes in the morning. And so he'll figure out a way to go in there and target those deer in the morning as well. So I can look at just a bunch of really good hunters and killers that just consistently get it done. And a lot of them are targeting these hub scrapes. And yes, they know where the bedding's at. Yes, they know where all the convergence is at. Yes, they know escape routes and, you know, everything else. But I really feel like they're super dialed in these systems and it's an entire system for me. So, so what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I agree with everything you just said. And it's something that you taught me when I first met you. I asked you, I, I, like I said, in the beginning of the podcast, I said, like, when you're talking about in these podcasts, all these hub scrapes and how do you target them and how do you do that? And you, you kind of broke it down. You're like, and I was like, oh, that's it. And you're like, you're like D-Rock. It's, it's easy. You just got to just be regimented and look for, know what you're looking for. And what you do, which is really interesting, which I think it's where I've came up short listening to you in the past is I'd find like two hub scrapes and be like, all right, this is where I'm hunting all year. You find like 25 to 50 of them and put cameras on all of them and find that one that's hot or has that deer that you want to chase. And then you go after it. You give yourself options. And that's where I came into, pro- came into problems. I'm sure a lot of guys have. They find some really cool hub scrape. And like, wow, this is huge. It's tore up. Go there to sit and a deer that they don't want to shoot comes by. And that was something I really took away from you learning about hub scrapes. Yeah. And that's a great point. And to elaborate on that a little bit, like numbers are always going to be good, right? Like the more of these areas that you can find, the better your chances are going to be. And especially if they're areas that you can run cameras in, you're just going to the more intel and inventory you can build, I feel like the better off you're going to be every year. And yeah, there's going to be years where, you know, things happen out of your control and you're just not going to have success more than likely. But overall, I think that if you find something like a hub scrape, that system, you find enough of those systems and you run enough cameras or you observe those in whatever way you can, many times as possible, you're just eventually going to have success. Yeah. So I completely agree, man. Well, hey, that is that's the top five public land scouting tactics that we had. We are posting a video about it that is going to launch Friday. It'll be launched Friday at 5 p.m. And I think it's going to be a great video. It's like 15 minutes long, it's short and sweet, it's just super tactic based. It's got a little bit of everybody that we showcased throughout the in sessions in there. And um, yeah, if you guys have any questions or you have any topics that you want us to cover next year, 
we would love to hear it. We're trying to ramp this thing up. We're trying to find the right guests. We're trying to find the right tactics and all of that. So really appreciate the fact that you guys have listened to the podcast and gave us a lot of good feedback on that and been watching these videos. And it's it's very humbling to say the least. So D-Rock, thanks for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it, man. No problem. Thanks for having me over. It's been a while. You know, it's not like we don't see each other ever, you know? <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. We got to make this more of a common thing. We have some really good topics to have Derek on. That's going to gonna cover some things like uh, self-filming or being a camera guy or even tactic-based. So I think there's going to be a lot to take away from Derek on here in the future. But yeah, man, thanks again for coming on. Everybody, if you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and a written review. We will see you on Friday with Troy Pottinger. Oh, 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 oh,